This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm happy to welcome our next guest to the program. This is Professor Theo Noseworthy, Associate Professor of Marketing at York University. Welcome to the program, Theo. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here. So, Theo, let's turn to your fantastic research that you're working on. This is an amazing paper. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the idea? What I love to sort of talk about when I have uh, experts, uh, intellectual scholars who come on the program, Theo, is I I like to give my listeners a sense of how they came up with these very interesting ideas. And so kind of talk us through. We're going to talk about your paper, When Two Wrongs Make a Right, but tell us how... How, 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 what was the genesis of the idea, and how did you stumble upon, hey, I'm going to do a, a very intellectually rigorous analysis of this particular uh, phenomena or, or concept or whatever we have? Sure. Yeah, so it, it began um, uh, with, with my lab. Uh, my lab's heavily focused on, on product design and innovation, and we invite practitioners. They come through. We, we sit there with academics, and, and what you see consistently with entrepreneurs because they're constantly talking about how difficult it is to roll out new products. Mm-hmm. And we all know that, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about how, you know, the vast majority of new products are incremental. And, uh, and one observation that came through uh, consistently was it was that consumers on their end really aren't making sense of these products. It's not that they can't see the benefits or reject the benefits. It's that they, they just can't seem to find their position in the market in the consumer's mind. Mm-hmm. That they're not spending the time to make sense of these new products. Okay. And I got kind of interested in that. And my team, we started talking together, and we said, well, that, that, you know, is there something out there that we could actually circumvent that problem and give you at least that sensation that this new product actually makes sense to you? Okay. And if it really does boil down to this, this sense-making process, is there a way that we can actually harness that and, and create better success with introducing some of these new products? Interesting. And so, so the context here, Theo, is that we're – we're going to specifically look at a new product context. So we're going to restrict the domain to coming up with something new. And Mm -hmm. your point is that you have observed out there this consistent kind of tension that's associated with consumers stumbling a little bit, at least cognitively, in terms of perceiving and making sense of this new product uh, that is a bit of a barrier to them moving down this kind of purchase funnel idea. It's like I'm aware, and as I consider it, it, it fails if I'm not making sense about what it is and how it, what its value proposition is, et cetera. Is that kind of the idea? Absolutely. Because if you think about it from this perspective, we are sense-making machines. Mm-hmm. As human beings, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But we also consume rather passively. We're inundated with products and consumption. Mm-hmm. And it would be almost maladaptive every moment we looked at something new and said, hey, wait, why is it like that? How does it do that? Gotcha. And so what happens more often than not, many of the entrepreneurs are saying, wow, these guys are walking right by my product. They don't even care, but it's a better mousetrap. Mm. And so we, we, that's where we said, okay, I think there's something there. And so then we got on the point of, well, then what makes it a better mousetrap and what you actually see consistently is often these incremental products are just a slight adjustment to a single feature. Okay. And if I can help you make sense of that single feature, then maybe we can actually get that aha moment and at least get oh. that level of familiarity where you're not rejecting it. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, and I see, this is so, so give us an example of uh, a new product, and it could be, you know, from the stimuli in your paper, from your experiences or your observations, et cetera, that is a type of new product or incremental feature around the the better mousetrap that fails the sense-making test. Yeah, so the one that I actually love is is the one that we we used in our final study because it was really great to get in the field with a a limited uh, re-release and mess around with Crystal Pepsi. Okay. Right. You know, all things being equal, the classic failure story from the '90s. Yes. And uh, you get crystal 
Pepsi that just removes the dye, and, and it's clear. Mm-hmm. And what you got to see was there's all these different business cases and stories about why this failed. Mm-hmm. But we, what we got to see consistently was consumers saying, well, I don't know why it's clear. Interesting. And, 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 and okay. there's this frustration, it's not tension. Okay. And so we said, okay, well, what do we know in the world that is linked to things being clear? Uh-huh. And if you could actually get them to make sense of just that attribute, all of a sudden would they actually accept Crystal Pepsi? And what was interesting about this, this also, too, was a taste test as well. Gotcha. And so what we, what we do, and in, the, in, in, the, in terms of the title, you take these, these conjunctive things that we actually know that we build over time, these associations. Okay. And we started saying that maybe, okay, well, what if Crystal Pepsi was made with natural spring water? Okay. And then all of a sudden when they taste it and they're made with natural spring water, they like it way better. I see. And they have no problem with it whatsoever. But I see. you say normal Pepsi made with natural spring water and you don't get that bump. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. It's that link that they're drawing and making sense. And you get that moment and they'll even say it. They're like, oh, okay, that's why it's clear. Interesting. So when you use the term conjunctive, Theo, you literally are saying... Let me make sure I'm, I'm capturing this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But sure. you, li- you literally are saying that there is some, what you have observed is that in these contexts of new product failures, there is often a dissociation between a feature and somehow whatever is the schema that consumers have in their mind about that product. Yeah, and that, exactly. dis- that, that disassociation can be fixed with a conjunctive? What, what is the, tell me exactly what's the conjunctive so, yeah, piece here. A conjunctive enabler. So we all, we all do them. And, Got it. and it sounds like a fancy way of saying something that, that all our kids do. This is why if you sit down to a meal and you put green vegetables on a plate, uh-huh. your kids automatically say, oh, that's going to taste awful. And it's because <laughs> they build, right? Yes. And they all do this, but they, and yes. they built that association. Right? Yes. That's why we know that something with four legs that barks will probably chase our cat. Yes. And so in, in a similar vein, um, if I made, and we use this stimuli in the, in the thing, if, in the paper, mm-hmm. if I made a recyclable phone, you have all kinds of things that kick in. Oh, why would they do that? Or how will it work? Mm-hmm. Right? All these heuristics are kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, if I made a cardboard fiber phone, you would have similar questions. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. But then we find if you make a cardboard fiber recyclable phone, the consumers have absolutely no problem with that. Interesting. And, and it's because we get at some level that cardboard is recyclable mm-hmm. and that actually facilitates the meaning for why would this oh, thing that's be recyclable. Interesting. interesting. And yeah. so you're, you're, that's very cool. You're calling this a conjunctive enabler. That's yep. the, yep. that's the and construct. Did you invent this term, Theo? No, it comes from cognitive psychology. Okay. Uh, okay. Developmental psychology, all the, most of us learn that way. That's mm-hmm. how we should work out our categories. We work out dominant features. Mm-hmm. That's what we know if we, you know, if we see small things with the beating wings, there's a good probability they're a songbird. Interesting. So we have, so it's it, it, part of this has to do with the idea that we are, we have to be kind of efficient in how we're processing information. And you right. use the word heuristic. So these are like very shortcut rules to be able to get to a point of understanding very quickly because we just don't have the time and, and all of those kinds of things. And so this plays exactly. into this, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, and it's just this sensation of familiarity. And what, what I mm. loved about this idea was it actually represented pretty, you know, not to undersell it being superficial, but relatively inexpensive design adjustments mm-hmm. to help a consumer ah. make sense of something that is far more important. Interesting. I want to touch upon that. And I love this idea, Theo, because you were pointing to the, these associations that are there. So we either have to, to what extent are we, does the research show the viability of breaking those associations, creating new ones, which it sounds like what a conjunctive enabler does, versus trying to reconnect those links? How does that work? Yeah. So, so, so one thing they're working on right now is, is 
it's even the converse of watching out for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, oh. so sometimes they actually t- t- send you down the path where you might be subtype or a category that you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most clever things probably for a tablet was that it wasn't released with a keyboard. Interesting. And, uh, and you see, because these, these things get drawn. And so the one, one of the dominant ways that we actually see that we can, actually, we can break some of these things um, is, is kind of in classical ways. So when you're trying to facilitate it, it's often perceptual-based. So mm-hmm. those, those seem to work particularly well. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, we have dominant association between blue and something being recyclable or green and something being healthy or green and something being environmental. Uh-huh. Um, and those seem to work really well because mm-hmm. as efficient processors, we pick up on those cues. Uh, some of the more conceptual ones that are diff- more difficult are when it's too unobservable, like two features that are in there that you can't touch or feel, but they're in the internal workings of it. Okay. What's an example of that? So if you think about innovating the CPU in a, in a smartphone uh, along with maybe, you know, something else that you can't really touch that relates to the CPU, uh-huh. it, it, that's, that's, a, that's a tougher one. We, don't, we tend to be quite efficient on surface levels. In the paper, we even show it haptically, even being gotcha. able to touch something. Mm-hmm. Texture can cause that. And so th- these various components that allow us to make sense, have you prioritized, because it sounds like you have you want to make an assertion here that from the marketing perspective, there is a lot of cost efficiencies that are associated with making these adjustments. How do marketers know ahead of time that they need to include, you know, outside of trying, going out and, and having the product fail, how do you know ahead of time that you've got potentially one of these dissociative links that's going to screw up consumers' perceptions yeah. and ability to make sense? Yeah, so often it, it just takes a, a small level of pre-testing. And, uh, you, can, you can go out there, and we see it on levels of, of what we call typicality. And uh-huh. so you're, you're innovating, you're creating a new product. You yourself, often I see this consistent with entrepreneurs, they don't think it's that bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yet to a consumer who's navigating the world in a pretty efficient way, it's, it's bizarre enough that they're absolutely going to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And with, with really slight pre-testing based on just the sense-making process, we mm-hmm. tend to pre-test and pilot products out there by just trying to get benefit acquisition. Does the consumer get the benefits of it? Uh-huh. Um, but if it's too bizarre, if they're not, what we often get is a disconnect where in the pretest, yes, they'll pay attention. Mm-hmm. On the shelves, they won't. Interesting. And what, you, what we try to do is we set up these pretests, and, and so my lab now works with entrepreneurs, and we set them up in such a way mm-hmm. that it actually is as if the consumer would see it in the store. And you get very different results, and that's where we see that disconnect. And then we start playing with enablers to help people make sense of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Here's something interesting that I want to run by you, uh, Theo. Uh, And maybe you can help out with this a little bit because uh, it's interesting. I often get here at the university students constantly pitching ideas to me about, you know, their startups. <laughs> I'm sure you get this right. too. You know, there's a million yeah, yeah. decks that get sent around and it's sort of like, here's my startup. Uh, can you give me feedback? But one interesting deck that I saw recently uh, that was sent to me that I think actually uh, can be an interesting kind of um, uh, example that I'd love to get your feedback on, Theo, is this, this, this idea for a company, one of the students sent to me, the idea was basically that it's, it's a pet food company and the pet food company, basically, the idea is like, we will make, you know, why should your dog not be eating what humans eat? So we're basically going to kind of reimagine the food production process that for, dog and cre- for dogs and create new dog food. And, you know, you go to the website, you sign up, it's a subscription, they send you the meals. And the, the food itself kind of almost looks like human food. Uh, it's got these properties. It's kind of this idea like, you know, all of the ingredients are things that we can say and we can easily identify, kind of like the RX bar model. Right. Uh, and, 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 but as I watch this, 
uh, Theo, I had kind of the reaction that you said when you were mentioning kind of the, on the initial uh, onset of the problem here, I had that kind of reaction was like, I just don't understand. Like, why, why would you, you know, (laughs) you know, kind of like who cares that the dog is having a human meal. Now maybe there are types of dog owners that would care, but help, what could they do that could be like a nice little trigger that could help make that connection, that conjunctive enabler. What are your thoughts on that? What could they maybe do? Yeah, that's a trickier one and from just from the perspective where, where food looking like food isn't a difficult process. Where, where, where the disconnect comes is connected to your dog, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea that, oh, well, why would my dog need to eat what I need to eat mm-hmm. is really, you know, a cognizant online question, whereas maybe a better enabler would be to do something on the packaging that gets your, your dog to seem far more like you, far more human. Oh, interesting. Right? And, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. And, and so that would actually, all of a sudden, there's just a sense-making process that would just kick in where you're just saying, oh, no, no, I get that. That makes sense. Interesting. Right? And, and so for some people, that'd be easier and more accessible than others. There's many people out there, dog owners, who do look at their dog as if they're people. Gotcha. But your, um, your, your right. point is that you, for, for, and maybe that's part of their target segment, to your point, Theo. Uh, right. But your point is also important, which is to say that to really activate that, uh, and bring in a larger market, you know, there may be folks on the periphery that are on the psychological fringe where, you know, they kind of see the dog as a family, but they're not like, you know, they're not like the, that, that group of, of, of pet owners that are just like so in love with the dog that it's just like absolutely crazy, right? But they're on that fringe and they right. see they see it as part of the family. And when you're saying we can capture them by kind of activating this idea of the dog is more like you, more like human within the collateral and the marketing stimuli uh, and how That's we right. present the brand and how we show the life of the owner and the dog and in sort of a parallel in that context. Would you say right. that's that's correct? Even even yeah, right. Even something as silly as, as showing a little ad campaign with imagery of a dog sitting at the table while you're eating dinner. Say, Interesting. Dog at, and the way that these enablers actually work is it just stops for a second at a psychological level, even counter argument. It just gives a sense of familiarity. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of stops you from saying, I mm-hmm. don't understand this. Gotcha. And, and again, it's kind of interesting in that way. And so we actually see typicality ends up going up, which is interesting oh. because these things aren't less bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what it becomes is more typical of what you believe it would be like if that dog was a person. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so you end up making sense of it in that way. Very, very cool stuff. Because interesting, as I look at their website, you know, I was evaluating the, the well, you know, mock-ups of their website, they, and they have a little one-minute video. You know, they kind of show the dog eating out of the bowl. There was nothing in there that really touched upon that or activating that, that sense-making right. enabler that you're talking right. about. So that would be good advice for these guys, yes? It would be. I, I was funny because right before you said that, I was thinking probably one of the worst things you could have is the dog eating out of the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> interesting. Very, very cool stuff. It's going to be cool because I'm definitely going to uh, share with them uh, your advice, and I certainly appreciate that. We have about a minute left, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what's new for you in terms of your research. What are you going to be looking at next in terms of either this? So we're, we're still doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're still doing a lot of stuff on uh, on, on a similar topics uh, with the sense-making process. Mm-hmm. But recently now, we're even getting into some emotional aspects that you can either turn off or turn on. So okay. if you want to introduce carbonated milk, for the vast majority of people in North America, uh-huh. that's kind of disgusting. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, talking to one company in New Zealand, but if you actually could tag a name to this product or some other feature that gets you to attribute the disgust to that, oh, interesting. far more accepting. Right? Gotcha. So, you know, the New Zealand company calls their spider, I believe. And people over in North America all of a sudden don't have a problem with it. It's not as disgusting if it's called spider. 
But a drink on its own called spider is kind of odd. Uh-huh. Carbonated milk is kind of odd, but mm-hmm. together I accept it and not as disgusting. Interesting. I love this idea because it's very cool stuff, uh, Theo. It, 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 it basically attacks from a cognitive psychology perspective, basic processes of understanding and sense-making, and allows marketers to be much more efficient in that context if they understand this process. And through your own research, you know, you're sort of elucidating the nuances of how these processes work. And that's really, really cool stuff. Theodore Noseworthy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. It was Great to have you, and I hope you'll I hope you'll come and see us again. Absolutely, thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.